Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Hey everyone, this is David Kinneman, and we're here with a fresh episode of Church Pulse Weekly. Uh, we're so glad to have served you as leaders over the course of the pandemic and uh, through all the things that we've been through as Christian leaders over the last couple of years. And we've learned so much from you and alongside you and from so many of our guests. Uh, today, we get the privilege of welcoming Aubrey Sampson. How are you, Aubrey? I am so good. So grateful to be here with you, David. Great. Well, we're gl- glad to have you here, and we're eager to hear from you. Aubrey uh, co-planted and serves on the preaching team of Renewal Church in West Chicago. Uh, she's the author of several books, including her latest, Known, How Believing Who God Says You Are Changes Everything. Uh, she is also the co-host of the Common Good Daily uh, Teach and the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Aubrey writes regularly for Propel Women and Christian Today's The Better Samaritan and Travels. Uh, to speak and to preach. Again, so great to have you. We're going to come to you in a couple of minutes. Um, but first, the data, as is our custom here on uh, Church Pulse Weekly. We try to update people on some of the things that we're learning. And we've had the chance over the last year and a half, in fact, right after the pandemic began, we had been in discussions with a wonderful uh, organization called Navigators. I'm sure most of our uh, listeners will be familiar with Navigators, a disciple-making organization. And um uh, they actually commenced on the project, even though the pandemic sort of was shifting so many things. And I'm so glad that they did, uh, because we learned a lot of things that I think are going to serve uh, leaders today as we think about disciple making. And I think if we've learned anything over the course of the pandemic, uh, it's that the church really struggles at disciple making. Um, you know, you look at uh, things like racial unrest, you look at um, issues related to politics, you look at even just how the church shows up and people sort of having dropped out of regular church attendance. Uh, lots of things that I think we've seen, and, and this is an ongoing problem that has happened in, in many ways. Like we, we, We've been talking about the disciple-making problem for many, many years, but um, it's sort of front and center over the last couple of years. So let's get to a couple stats from this major study called Growing Together. You can actually check out the, the whole study at barna.com slash growing together if you're interested. Uh, but here are a few stats, and then we're going to come to Aubrey for, for some of her reactions, and we'd love to have you uh, as your listening from uh, your car or your commute or your jog or uh, at your office or wherever it is you're listening today, um, you might you might be thinking about how this might affect your own ministry, how you think about disciple-making as a leader. So the top obstacle, we're going to talk about a couple of obstacles that we saw in the research. We interviewed Christian adults, um, asked them about their perspectives related to, to discipleship, and did a lot of really interesting work related to the language of discipleship and the words we use and how to think about all that. And the top reason that Christians gave for not making disciples is they don't think they're qualified or equipped at 37%. Uh, This was followed by no one has suggested or asked me at 24%. And uh, 22% said they just have never thought about it, which is an, an interesting indictment, I think, of us as leaders uh, for not having presented the the possibility to people uh, for uh, for discipleship, like what does it mean to actually be engaged in the growth and development of someone else? And uh, I think that's a very salient question for us. The second stat, uh, second set of stats we'll talk about is the 
um, the, the, the kind of a category, a second set of obstacles that we looked at was that disciples walk through hard times with friends. And so another barrier that we discovered in the research is a lack of understanding of what healthy friendships look like and what they can offer. So here's some stats to help uh, prove out that point. Only one in five Christians who are not engaged in discipleship said they are very comfortable helping friends through periods of suffering, including mourning and hardship and so forth, um, compared to three in five Christians who are in a discipleship community, 58%. So 21% among Christians who are not engaged in discipleship versus 58% who said they're very comfortable uh, going through those kinds of, of periods of suffering. And so, you know, that I think is a, a very telling um, way of thinking about, you know, the, the potency and the effect of discipleship. Research reminds us, we always have to sort of say a causation, uh, c- c- correlation doesn't equal causation, but there's a really interesting uh, pattern there in the data that we have to pay attention to. And then the third thing I want to mention, so we talk about the obstacles to discipleship, a uh, second obstacle is this sort of idea of how do we walk through suffering and challenges. And third data point that we want to talk about here is an opportunity for discipleship. And we found four qualities of people who are more likely to do discipleship. Uh, the one we want to focus on here is people who are growth-minded. And so adults who are growth-minded know there is always more work to do, and they seek opportunities to challenge themselves in various parts of their of their lives. For those of us who are leaders, this may come as a surprise, or maybe it won't, uh, but uh, in our research, it's so interesting how uh, people self-select. They basically say, you know, are you interested in growing? Are you interested in a more meaningful life? And, you know, people say, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> it just cracks me up. And and so uh, let me give you some examples. Three in five of those who qualify as growth-minded, 60% report experiencing a vibrant spiritual growth in the past year compared to just 27% of all uh, adults. An additional 29% say they spiritually grew at some some in the last year, but wish they'd experienced even more growth. Uh, this is among those growth-minded versus only 12%. And so, um, you know, there's an, another big gap. Um, and accordingly, they're hopefully hopeful for and committed to investing in their spiritual growth. So um, again, I think there's actually something for us who are, you know, you look back at the pages of the Old Testament and the Levites and, and in the pages of the New Testament, the, the priests, right? And the, 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 the apostles and pastors and evangelists and teachers, um, Ephesians 4, and, and what does it mean for us to sort of help usher people into the presence of God? And what does it look like then for us to help people who are, are um, either seeking growth or not seeking growth? So lots and lots of really interesting uh, data coming in from the study called Growing Together. Again, you can learn more at barna.com slash growing together. And with that, let's welcome back more officially, Aubrey, back into the show. Um, what do you think about those stats? What's your What are your reactions? Wow. I mean, I was like taking notes the whole time. I, so I think um, uh, it's interesting to me, right? It's especially, I'll dive into the second one, that people don't feel equipped to walk with friends through suffering. Because I, I will say, I mean, especially the past couple of years, like all of us are sort of coming out of trauma collectively. And like you were talking about, I mean, some of that is uh, COVID trauma. Some of that is political unrest trauma, racial unrest trauma. And I don't think, I'm going to say it negatively and then I'm going to say it positively. I don't think the church has equipped people well to lament collectively, communally, or individually. And that's the negative part. Like, I think we have left people to say, oh, have I been praying to the ceiling fan? Like, where is God in this? And we have not led people well through suffering. We've led people well to like the mountaintop, 
but we have not led people well to see that like God may actually be in the valley and there's an invitation there. And so I would say the positive thing about that to me is it's like, hey, this is a moment that is ripe to bring back like the, the very biblical ecumenical call to lament as a people of God in our discipleship. Like, I think that can actually be part of the discipleship pathway that we create for people is teaching them like regular rhythms of lament for other people and for themselves. And um, then I would say that the piece about the insecurity, I mean, isn't that so human or that the ill-equipped, what was the language that you used? They feel, they don't yeah, feel the, equipped. Uh, the, the statement was um, they don't feel qualified or equipped. Yeah. And that's 37%, almost two in five. Church, uh, churchgoers, Christians say that that's the reason they don't disciple others. This and, and the fact that like pastors or leaders haven't invited them into it. I, that to me, that to me is so human and such a, in some ways I feel very tender when I hear that because it makes me think like, oh, we just, wow, we have to re-gospel people and remind them that like they have a good God who loves them and is for them and they have everything that they need in Jesus Christ to do the work of the gospel for the kingdom. And I, and I don't know, I mean, there's, I think, ways we've probably gone wrong where we've made people think they need to check these certain boxes in order to be disciple makers. But, you know, it was actually, even this morning I was reading in Acts that moment where Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin and they're like, look, they're not, they're, they're not educated, ordinary men, but they noted that they'd been with Jesus and that made all the difference. And I, I just feel like a little bit of our discipleship maybe needs to go back to just reminding people like, be with Jesus, know who God says you are, walk in the approval that you have in Christ. And that's that's the equipment that you need to make disciples and to be a thriving disciple. So my heart was like kind of tender when I heard that one. That felt very real, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. What have you learned about discipleship if if uh, the premise is true that, that the church in the U.S. has something of a discipleship problem? Yeah. And I think it's sort of one of these age-old problems. Yeah. Uh, Jesus talks about the seed that goes, you know, deep in the ground, and yeah. sometimes it, it flourishes, and yeah. sometimes it just gets picked away. Um, you know, what what are you learning about problems and possibilities of discipleship in this time in your church? Yeah, I think for us, I mean, like like every other church, we're a multi ethnic church, so we have the the racial unrest has been very, very real and very, very raw for us, and and unfortunately, very divisive. Like when we have called racism evil, um, a lot of people have not liked that. And um, so I I would say that area alone is one opportunity, I think, where we can, um, again, I, I keep going back to the concept of lament, but I do think we can have uh, groups where we're learning to lament together over the pain and suffering that we've seen and experienced. We can become intercessors of lament together as we disciple um, our people. And I, I, I just think that there are opportunities to like to name the pain and the heartache together as churches and not to be afraid of it. And I think in that way, like we will make disciples of Jesus who— who will say, look, even though this is really hard, even though this is really painful, even though these things are devastating, we're not going to pretend like they're not, but we're also going to not walk away from Jesus. Um, so I think there's a, I think I'm learning about that. Like, how do we create collective experiences for lament and, and teach people individually how to lament? And then I think the other thing is what, 
because we haven't done a great job, at least in the, you know, in some churches in the evangelical West, we haven't we haven't done a great job of allowing people to bring their their insecurities that we talked about, their doubts, their heartache, their suffering, their their pain, their anger, their frustration to the table. Um, because of that, we're seeing a lot of you know people that are walking away from the church, walking away from God, walking etc. And so I do think, I mean, this isn't new, this isn't even innovative, but I think like at Renewal Church, one of the things we've done is created circles of conversations around people who are deconstructing. And rather than go, you're deconstructing, that's bad, that's prideful, that's wrong, that's, we've we've had these um, really meaningful conversations weekly with groups of people that self-identify as deconstructors and just heard their hearts heard what feels frustrating to them, heard what feels really painful for them, heard what feels wrong to them, and then taken what we need to take, but then also course corrected when we need to. And just in relationship over time, created safe space for people to express their like doubt and their heartache together, but still be a part of a church that's like actively pursuing Jesus. And so I think that's another opportunity when we think about discipleship. Like there, I feel like we just tend to go, like put our hands up and say, um, let's avoid these really, really hard things, but instead might these hard moments that our people are walking through be just incredible places for the Spirit of God to move and deepen our relationship with Jesus? I think if the churches can get that, then we'll create disciples who are like not going to walk away from God, but are going to stay there for the long run. So good. I'm curious about this idea of deconstruction because it's been such a... Uh, a common part of yeah. the language on social media, yeah. and um, so you talk. You, you a couple questions. At first, yeah. you, you're you're very overt in talking about deconstruction. Yeah. Then, and and what are you what are you learning about what that is is doing for people as they yeah as they embrace some of that. You know, I mean, I think uh, process with you. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some there's some hard stuff and there's some good stuff, right? Like some of the good stuff is. Um, I do think at least at least in our church, um, some of the deconstructors that we're processing with, they are like they don't they don't want to see racism in the church. They don't want to see sexism in the church. They don't want to see evil in the they don't want to see politics in the church. Like actually, like they want the church to be the church. And so in one sense, that's really, really becoming a prophetic voice that we need to listen to. But then I would say, and I'll just be honest, like we have a group of of and I only use deconstruction because they call themselves deconstructors. We have a group that Kevin and I meet with every single Sunday. They've become very close friends that we disciple very intentionally. Um, they are definitely like moving away from orthodoxy as far as uh, things like sexuality and, and identity and some of those other harder conversations. They know where our church stands. They know where Kevin and I stand, but we're not like saying, you have to believe the things that we believe or else you can't be here. No, like, we want you here. Let me just tell you where we are. Let me just tell you. But like, you're still welcome. There's still a place of belonging for you. Like, And so I, the beautiful thing has been to engage in nuanced conversation, even though we may disagree on some things, but um, not tell people they can't be part of the church anymore. And I don't know what God is going to do long-term, but I do think, again, like for church leaders— these are opportunities to open up new places where people can express their their pain, their frustration, their heart, and, and find Jesus there, right? Stay faithful to Jesus even in the questions. 
Well, I think it's such a compelling picture. I hope uh, listeners are leaning in as they hear how you guys have used the language. You're not shied away from yeah. the language of yeah. deconstruction and, and then and then in friendship, um, try to walk through some of those questions with people. What are you learning about um, how to have these difficult conversations with people, whether it's about deconstruction or about race yeah. or about other politics? What like What are some guidelines really practically oh. about how you've <laughs> preached about it, yeah. how you've taught about it, how you've talked about it. What what could what could we learn alongside you? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, we've learned that it's really hard because you're gonna step on people's idols, right? And they're not gonna be happy with you. Um I okay, I would say we've been really terrible at this and we've been really good at this. Um we've preached pretty boldly against racism from the pulpit. We've had a lot of small groups where we're, um, or, or missional communities where we're diving into, you know, different books, different resources on like anti-racism. We've um, had like a kind of as an outreach, we do um, something that we call documentaries, uh, documentary dinner and discussion. It's not a very creative name, but they're all 3Ds. So, you know, you go with it. Where Perfect. we invite <laughs> our people and we invite our whole, like the whole town of West Chicago can come. Our church offices are like right in our little downtown area. So where we we show a documentary or maybe a movie that's about an issue around race, serve a dinner and then just talk about it. I think what we've done well is is really rooted this conversation in the gospel. Right, like because what happens is is people. We didn't always do this. We we've had to learn to do this. What happens is because people have their political lenses on right now and they're on real tight. Um, you bring up a conversation like race, automatically people go, "Oh, that's whatever the language they want to." You know, depending on the camp you're in, right? Like that's CRT. That's bad. That's not, you know, like. And and so what we've tried to do is be like, look, this this isn't a political conversation. This is a gospel conversation. Like Jesus uh, reconciles us to God, but also reconciles us to each other. And the picture that we see in Revelation is every tribe, every tongue coming together. And so what we want to do is now on earth, get to see glimpses of God's kingdom where we are unified as people, not divided, where we're willing to confess and lament our sin of racism and try to root it in gospel freedom and gospel language and scripture, how like God was always breaking through, you know, boundaries, even uh, ethnically to move the gospel Mm -hmm. forward. Let's root it in that rather than in like uh, the conversation we're hearing from political pundits and the news, et cetera. And I think that Again, we weren't doing that well at first. Now we've been like, wait, this is a gospel issue. We've known that all along. Let's get better at making this gospel-rooted biblical language so that really, like, if you have a problem, you've got a problem with God and the Bible. You don't have, you know what I'm saying? So I think Mm -hmm. just to give people a vision that's a big God-sized vision, but then have really hard conversations and just be okay that, like, it's going to be hard. We tell people all the time, you're going to be uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable too, just note that uncomfortableness in you, and that's okay. Right. You know, that's the Holy Spirit's doing something there. Well, these feel like such uh, applicable discussions related to discipleship, and and on on the note of uh, discipleship, you know what what 
have you learned about discipleship just personally? Yeah. Um, you know, what, what, like where, where's, what's your discipleship journey look like? Yeah. I'm so glad you asked that. Cause sometimes I can talk so theoretically and then it's like, Oh wait, how have I actually been discipled? So I'm Gen X. So like no one discipled me and I feel very angry about it. still. <laughs> um, no, I, my experience has been, I, I mean, I'm a little bit of an ecclesiological mutt. Like I came to Christ in a Southern Baptist church. Then I went to youth group in a vineyard church Went to college and did the Anglican church, which I loved. Now I'm non-denominational, church plant, missional. Like I'm I'm all over the place. So my discipleship has been a blend of, you know, different faithful pastors pouring into me. And then um the past four years, I've met with a really faithful spiritual director. So walking through spiritual practices and listening to the Holy Spirit and um that journey has been really incredible, really reviving for my faith, honestly. And then I, I'm very privileged because I have been um, guided by a lot of professors in grad school at Wheaton College. I just finished with my master's in evangelism and leadership. And that's that's an experience I know not everybody gets to have, but I, um, I have been discipled by professors who are also practitioners and pastors themselves. And uh, that's been very meaningful for me. And so bottom line— it's just been like relational, like people inviting me into what they're already doing and not even necessarily, I mean, sometimes intentionally pouring into me, but sometimes just like living faithfully for Jesus in their city, in their town, in their neighborhood and invited me along. And I've gotten to be formed by that. And that's been enough. That's been beautiful. That's been wonderful. And then of course, I mean, just the spirit of God and the word of God and being in Christian community has been part of my discipleship too. Yeah. What do you think are um, ways that uh, your church right now is getting discipleship right? Yeah. And what are some things you think you'd like to to uh, improve, maybe even reflecting on some of the stats that we just covered? Yeah. Um, I think we, so we, because we're a church plant, we're, we're about seven years old. And the past two years, I don't know where, you know, we barely made it. So um, we, I, our discipleship was. When you say that, when you just pause it, what do you mean you've, you've barely made it? Like. Is that is that personally? Is that financially? Is that yeah? No, I think that's more personally. Like it just felt very fragile for a while, as a lot of pastors have yeah. felt very fragile. Um, I, I know I said that so flippantly, but that's actually kind of a serious thing to say. Um, we okay. What so anyway? I would say for a while we were just a little bit probably too organic in our discipleship and. We have small groups and we have what we call renewal communities. Our church is renewal church, missional community, or kind of a hybrid of a small group and a missional community, like small groups on mission. Um, but we were probably too organic in that, just assuming that uh, people who were leading those groups knew how to make disciples. So recently what we've done, and I feel like we're we're doing this right, and I'm excited about it, is, you know, we we all sort of know that discipleship is not like up and to the right, and it's not necessarily linear. You know, if we think about discipleship, almost like a unless you use bar, unless you use barn oh, research. Sorry, as your sorry, guide, sorry. Then, 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 of course, everything is up and to the everything right. Everything is up and to the right. <laughs> <laughs> if, if we think about dis- if you get the formula for discipleship, no, yeah, you got it. If you do X Y Z, you make disciples. Done and done. Yeah, because that's how it works. Yep, it's that's just as right. Simple as God, s- simple as there's algebra. No mystery <laughs> at all in it. The Holy Spirit isn't doing anything mysterious. Um, I, so if discipleship is like 
like a spiral notebook, you know, you're going around and around and ideally you're going deeper and deeper into intimacy with Jesus, right? If that's the image, not necessarily up into the right, but the deeper, deeper, it it finally occurred to us because I think we were trying to say, okay, we want to move disciples from here to here, here to here, here to here. That's okay. I mean, that works in a sense. But for us, we were like, well, what if discipleship looks more like regular rhythms and regular seasons where we are... um reminding people annually of things that they need to know so that they're going deeper in it. So for us at our church, part of our culture is something that we call the four Gs, and we focus on the gospel, growth, good neighboring, and generosity. And that's just language we use. I mean, any church could use any version of that, right? And probably does. But so for us, four times a year, we do deeper dives in both preaching and experiences in our small groups where we're diving really deep, reminding people of the gospel. Okay, reminding people what it means to be good neighbors, reminding people what it means to have lives of generosity, reminding people what growth looks like. And we're revisiting that um, seasonally, each one seasonally, four times a year, so that ideally, like, we're because we forget, right? And so remembering things that we know to be true, but ideally diving deeper into them. And then the other thing we're trying to remind ourselves, and I don't know why we forget this, but you just do. I mean, it's the Spirit of God who disciples. So in that, trying to create spaces where people can experience uh, the Spirit in community. We do a lot of this in community. Um, so that, you know, the, the mysterious discipling can actually happen, right? In partnership with the Spirit of God. So I think we're, we're doing that right. And the other thing that we're doing, right, going back to some of the stats about um, people not knowing how to walk with people through suffering, we are, especially coming out of COVID, we are trying to create kind of regular rhythms in our church calendar where we are lamenting as a church. So we've we've had online services where, like, on the chat wall, we just invited people to write, how long, oh Lord, and name whatever they were lamenting. We've had mm-hmm. um, backyard services where we've gotten together with people and just confessed our laments aloud to God. And then we're going to have a lament service actually here pretty soon, all of the devastating shootings that we've been hearing about so recently. And, you know, just the trauma around the world right now, Ukraine, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. we're going to have a lament service where we're actually going to sing lament songs and invite people to express their their how long questions, their how questions to God, and make that part of our regular regular rhythm of our calendar as a church so that it's not so shocking for people when we go there. It's a muscle that we're trying to teach our people to build. Yeah, it's so good. How'd you come to those four four Gs? I think that's a really beautiful oh, expression and, and oh, the thanks. idea of cycle, cycling around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how did we come up with that? I mean, I wish I had this beautiful story to tell you. We're like young church planters. We're like, what sounds good? Okay, wait, the, we care about these things. That sounds, these feel like fully flourishing disciples of Jesus who are like living in the gospel, right? You know, what's the, I mean, it's a very famous saying that I did not say the gospel is not the diving board, but the pool, right? Like that we, yeah. we're keeping our people swimming in the gospel, re-gospeling ourselves all the time, all the time. Um, and then growth. I mean, this is so beautiful that this, this uh, data showed us that people who are growth-minded are the ones who are growing. And so I don't even think we knew what we were doing was like, oh, there's data behind it. Okay, good. We're just here to prove you right. Thank you. I appreciate that. I like <laughs> I, I like that proof text is really, really helpful. Um, I, In fact, I'm going to pause there for just a second because to me, that was interesting when you brought up that data because I think 
I have assumed as a leader falsely that everyone just wants to grow. So Mm -hmm. So I almost think there's a step back in our discipleship as we're walking people through spiritual growth that has to say, growth is good and here's why. Like, Let's let's take it one step back and first invite people into why growth matters, and then let's talk about how you grow spiritually. So I think that's something we'll kind of now begin to think about as we go through our growth cycle, growth season. Um, good neighboring again because we're we're a multi ethnic church plant. So for us, you know, we want to be that church that like if we left the neighborhood, the neighborhood would care. Like it would matter that we left. Mm-hmm. And so for us, if you're if you're a Christian, you're also a good neighbor. Like the world changes through good neighbors with the gospel in their hands. And so that, you know, we talk a lot about, of course, uh, racial unity, but also just practical needs. How do you meet the need? And how do you do it mutually and not like, oh, I'm better than you. I want to, we would never say that, but sometimes of course we think that. And so where's mutuality in our good neighboring? Uh, We have a huge refugee population here. So how can we good neighbor with uh, mutuality in that way as well? And um, then generosity, and uh, of course, that's financial, but that's and that's giving to the neighborhood financially, but also that's living a life of generosity. Like God has been so generous to us. So how can we, in our in the way we live, in the way we forgive, in the way we love other people, how can we be generous as well? So, uh, I mean, honestly, it's been beautiful. Like that kind of we 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 use that language a lot at our church. We want you to be a four G follower of Christ. Uh, which at the time sounded kind of funny because 4G network was like the thing when we planted <laughs> right. the church. We didn't do that on purpose. Trying to be cool, trying yeah, to be hip right, with the tech. Right, exactly. <laughs> so irrelevant. Um, but God has used that. And people, what I love is that people at our church know, like here are the four Gs and they know what they are and they know that we, we're we inviting them to be growing in those things because God's inviting them to be growing those things. And then they'll look like a flourishing disciple of Jesus. Yeah, that's good. Speak to the everyday disciple maker. So, you know, usually we're talking to uh, talking to pastors and and leaders, and um, we have obviously wide range of people that are listening in. But for the most part, these would be what I call professional Christians because they get a paycheck (laughs) in some way, right? A paycheck in some way from uh, from doing uh, some kind of uh, sacred work or work work in a ministry space. Yeah, it almost sounds cynical, but it's 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 just true. It's just like that's I know. People who are who are yeah. pros at this, yeah. and um, and there is a a, a category of Levites and the rest, right? That's so right. we 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 have our we 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 earn our keep by uh, trying to cultivate and tend to people's souls. And by the way, one quick just note for for listeners: this whole notion is I'm glad to to see you kind of grappling with this idea of you know where people are on uh, an idea of of change orientation. And mm. I mean, you know, as researchers, we could draw lots of buckets and circles and categories yeah. around this but you know some people are very growth oriented yeah they're kind of almost like born that way right. uh, others are others are um you know uh sort of in the middle space right they right they, they only grow really through very catalytic events like the death of a loved one or bankruptcy or yeah. you know some sort of yeah. major life crisis illness um and then others really are very resistant i mean so, sometimes even among that very resistant group you can find that some of these major life events can catalyze a change mm. of heart change of mind yeah but i think i think i think it's just true from my years of research that people really aren't as oriented towards change as we think and mm. even those who are change oriented are probably um only change oriented in certain kind of yeah you know 
neurobiological ways, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we, we, we tend to think in very kind of sort of rutted or, or, you know, kind of rabbit trail, like we go down the same kind of trails, which is why it's so important for us as leaders to always surprise people and ask people, you know, the the Holy spirit to come and open up fresh vistas for people, Mm. wherever they are in that change orientation, but we should not fool ourselves and this is part of the reason why i think pastors and 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 leaders can get so frustrated is that it's like we're here to make life change happen but people really that's just it's almost like you know helping water roll uphill it just (laughs) doesn't really go that way right Uh, i mean do you have any reactions to that well in one sense i think that's you know that's it's probably just good data to have as a leader because then you can go oh that's why this is so hard and then, like you said, just to pray that the Holy Spirit does a fresh work in people and um, to remember that it's okay that it's so hard. It's okay that it's taking a really long time. It's okay that like God is not doing what you think God should be doing in like poof, but he's doing it in process. And I, I just, yeah, I, I think it's in one sense that should be encouraging to our souls and a reminder that this is a long this is the long work of the holy spirit right that long right. work of leadership that long work of obedience that long work of doing the christian life in community with people as we shepherd is not fast <laughs> slow work of the holy spirit so i'm actually i'm encouraged to hear that and then encouraged to hear like, oh, it makes sense why sometimes you are like, why do I, nothing's working, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Why do I do this? <laughs> I feel like you might have just named your next book, Process Over Poof. <laughs> <laughs> Writing that down, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, speak to everyday Christians, and, and as you do yeah. so, think about, you know, so so invite them into discipleship. You've used some beautiful language mm. and some, you know, ideas from from your from your experience but as leaders are trying to help, you know, inspire people towards this vision of discipleship, yeah. speak to speak to uh, everyday disciple makers, and let's do this in two ways. First, um, s- sort of encourage those that are already active yeah. in disciple making in some ways yeah. that what they do matters, yes. and then second, um, invite people into this idea of disciple making yeah. that if they haven't really considered it or they've been on the fence or it's been yeah. a long time since they've really thought about what it means to be yeah. active in the life of someone else. Yeah, so I that that first group who's who's already doing it but they're not the the professional Christians. Um I you know, going back to that going back to that data of the lack of confidence, I think the other thing part of the lack of confidence, I'm just making guesses here obviously. Um we're seeing a lot of really faithful Christians, I mean, this isn't always bad, that are um, like professionalizing their callings, right? Or, or branding their ministry. And again, that's okay. I mean, you know, God is doing work through that. So I don't want to, I don't want to be totally cynical about that. But I do think for the everyday disciple maker, that's such a small population of people. Like at the end of the day, people are trying to like put food on their table and pay their mortgage and hoping that their broken relationship with their sister one day gets healed and praying that their baby survives uh, the illness that they've been suffering with and praying that, um, you know, that like they get a job and, and, uh, you know, praying that their kids come to Christ. Like people there are not a lot of people out there that are like working towards like their professional calling and their branding, et cetera. Mm. 
the majority of people are just literally like barely making it day to day. And so if you are in the process of encouraging someone towards Christ, like I think ultimately that's what's going to change everything. Because I I do think it, it can be easy to be like, I'm going to, we're going to change the world as a church. We're going to go out there. We're going to do all this awesome stuff. Or I'm going to create this awesome ministry that does this amazing thing and changes lives. Yes, keep doing that. I'm not, keep going. I think that's awesome. But ultimately, I do think it's the faithful, small life lived for Jesus, loving your neighbor, that's going to make the difference for eternity and the difference for the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. So I would just say, keep going and remember that that what you're doing actually really matters in the kingdom of God because you're not, this isn't my language. I think this is Dave Ferguson, but you're not building your castle. You're building God's kingdom. And ultimately that's what God blesses. Um, right. So we need you and thank you, like keeping faithful. That's what matters. That's yeah. all that matters. Um, and then for, you know, if you're outside of discipleship, but maybe you feel like, okay, I'm I'm a Christian. God's called me to make disciples. That's part of that great commission. I want to dive in. There's an image that I like to think of sometimes, especially going back to that. Hey, I I feel like I'm ill-equipped. I feel like I'm not qualified. I I don't know how to I don't know how to actually begin. I think that's a lot of people's questions. My dad um, is a big fisherman. And when um, my kids were little, I have three sons. They're like teenage, preteen, and fifth grade now. But when they were really little, my dad would take them fishing. And what that meant was like my dad would get their fishing poles and my dad would, you know, get the tackle boxes and my dad would walk them down to the dock. And my they, they're boys, but they didn't want to put like the worms on the hook. They were kind of grossed out by it. So my dad would put the worm on the hook and my dad would wrap his arms around them and my dad would cast the fishing line. And ultimately like they'd catch the fish and my dad would say, you look what you did. You caught the fish. But ultimately like it was my dad who was catching the fish, let's be honest. But my dad right. would tell everybody, like, my grandkids caught the fish. Look, he posts pictures on social media. They caught the fish. And I think if we can get that image in our minds of our father, like as we make disciples, it's his equipment. It's his empowering. It's his arms around us, giving us everything we need to go and make fishers of men. And so ultimately, like, we may feel like we're not confident. We may feel ill-equipped. We may feel like we're not qualified but it's Jesus who qualifies and it's the Father who equips and empower us, empowers us. And so I would say, take a step. Like if there's somebody that you can just invite into what you're already doing. And when I was a young mom, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a lot of time to make disciples, but I would invite young women to just like go to the grocery store with me or to come over and my house would be covered in Cheerios and Legos. And I would be like, look, if you want me to disciple you, this is what it looks like. And I don't think we have to do anything outside of our real life. Just invite people into what you're already doing. Show them how you're living for Jesus, and that'll make a difference. So good. I love that image. Your book, Known, um, talks a lot about some of these these ideas of identity and how it shapes our discipleship mm-hmm. relationships. Um, anything you want to add, you know, based on the work I know when, when you know, when we have the chance of working on something like a, a book project. There's so much that it shapes how we sort of see these issues. So, you know, yeah. here, here's the the American church and its problems related to discipleship, yeah. all the work you've done yeah. for this for the sake of this book project and identity and community. What would you want to 
help us to see uh, based on on the lenses you have from that book project? Yeah, thanks so much for asking about that. And I'll, I'll be brief, but I um, you know, I I keep going back to like that tender place of people who feel like they lack confidence. I I wrote known because I was really seeing that, like that we have a lot of Christians out there who don't know that they have a good God who loves them and is for them. And that's such a basic tenet of our faith. And yet a lot of Christians feel like God is mad at them. God hates them. They're not enough. They're not living up to what God has, you know. And so the book known is really um, reminding people through names in scripture, like who God says you are, um, and ultimately, it's a book about the name of Jesus. Like, what what does it mean that we're people who live under and through and in and for the name of Jesus? And so, yeah, if you're if you're in that category, that's feeling ill equipped or under encouraged, uninvited. Known is definitely a book for you to remind you who God says you are and who God is ultimately. That's awesome. Well, and it seems like it has such pertinence to this question of how we think about discipleship and mm-hmm. being, you know, more, more than enough in Christ to help to shape someone That's else's right. life. Um, you know, that, like you said, I think that image of, uh, it's really not about our sufficiency as disciple makers, but about Jesus sufficiency. Uh, yeah. But we have to be involved in the process. I mean, mm-hmm. the kids have to walk down to the dock. That's and, right. You know, we, That's we, right. <laughs> we, we have to at least participate in some fashion for God to use yes. us in that way. Um, yeah. Such a great discussion. Thank you for joining us. Any last words of encouragement about this topic of discipleship and, you know, encouragement to leaders who are feeling exhausted like you alluded to earlier? Oh, first of all, I'm so grateful for you having me today. Thanks you. Thank you so much, David. Um, I yeah, I I guess I just the thing that keeps going through my mind is like keep going. Like we need your faithfulness, we need your integrity, we need your endurance. The church needs it and not to the point where you like burn out and you you want to die, but you're your faithfulness, your long suffering, that um, that consistent walk with Jesus, bringing other people along, matters so much right now in our culture, where everything seems like so many leaders are just failing, so many leaders are walking away, so many people are walking away. We we need your faithfulness and. God will bless you for it, and God will carry you in these really hard times. So thank you, leaders, for leading. Keep going. That's great. Well, uh, this has been Aubrey Sampson. It's such a privilege to have you. Thanks so much for being on the Church Pulse Weekly. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, Well, we've been talking, uh, again, about this study called Growing Together. You can learn more about it at barna.com slash growingtogether. I'd also encourage you to check out Aubrey uh, Sampson's book called Known, How Believing Who God Says You Are Changes Everything. We are so grateful for you listening. If you're a brand new listener, we'd appreciate if you um, rated the episode, pass it along to your friends. If you're a longtime listener, same. Uh, We're so grateful to be in this journey with you as uh, leaders, as you're trying to make sense of what's happening in the church and how we can do what God calls us to do better, more faithfully, with greater fruitfulness in these dark days. Um, And so thanks for listening. We'll be back soon with another fresh episode of Church Pulse Weekly. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.